You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary BGW, void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus welcome to the fabulous invalid a broadway centric podcast where we take an in-depth look at the theater through interviews with actors directors writers choreographers and everyone in between i'm jamie dumont recovering broadway marketer chef and event planner and i'm rob russo theater critic and writer with stage left at nyc Rob, Jamie, Happy New Year! Yes, it's 2020. I can't believe it. We made it. Another year. Another year's gone by. Wow. I'm still here. Oh. You're starting the year off with a song. You gotta sing. You gotta sing. But it's a sad song. Aw. I'm still here is a sad song. Oh, yes. Well, yes. But an anthem. Ugh, what a good one. But an anthem. Yeah, right? Well, here we are. Here we are. So (laughs) what are we doing today, Rob? Well, um, you had the uh, wonderful idea since 2020 marks the beginning of a new decade. That it does. Which is crazy to think about. We're in the roaring 20s. Uh, oh, I hadn't even made that connection. Right? Wow, kind of wild. Rob. Yeah, my you're... brain's exploding a little. Wow. Yeah, we're getting old. The, the, what's the line from oh. Angels in America? The Earth has gotten so terribly, terribly old. I have. Um, I have a few years on you. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, you had the idea that we could take a minute, pause, to look back on the previous decade of theater going, um, and for us to come up with our own personal lists of our top 10 uh, plays and musicals that we saw. Of the decade. Of the decade. And what's interesting about this um, exercise is that um, it's sort of our favorites, right? So we should get put that out there right away. Mm-hmm. These are our favorite theater-going experiences. Um, and it's based on what we saw, right? So we didn't see everything. No. Um, it, no person fact, could see anything. half the decade, you weren't even in New York. That's right. I spent three years living in D.C. and then the other, then another two years working on a presidential campaign where I was chained to a desk for you know, eighteen hours a day, so a good half of the decade, I, I really only saw like the musical or the play to see each year in New York. Um, but I was seeing theater in DC, so you'll see when we go through my list, I've got a couple uh, DC shoutouts, which I love. Yeah, DC has a vibrant theater scene. Well, there's theater everywhere. Yeah, right. No matter where you are, you can. Well, well, you know, some exceptions. <laughs> you can. <laughs> you can we won't find name them. theater. I can't speak to the quality of it, but there's theater everywhere. That there is. Yeah. Well, let's start. Great. Let's, let's Excellent. get this mother going. Yeah. So, um, as I said, Jamie set up the contours that um, we'd each come up with ten plays and ten musicals because that was sort of 
the only way we could wrest some sort of control out of the idea of having to tackle a decade worth of theater going. I mean, I probably saw, no joke, like 800 performances over the last decade, easily. I can't. You probably num- saw. I can't put a number to my, many, to my right? contour. Yeah. <laughs> um, so picking, you know, ten, or I guess I should say twenty, right. out of those is a really crazy task. And this isn't the first time or the last time that we will say this, but I love a list. You love a list. I love to give Rob a list because I, a list. it sends you into a bit of a tizzy. Oh yeah. Which I enjoy on yeah. a, several levels. Yeah, you like to torture. I I love to you torture you. I know it's yeah. sick, but yeah. but also, I know that you love it. Like I know that you love to sit down and think about right. what you've seen and relive yeah. some of those experiences. Totally. So we're gonna do that right now. Great, let's do it. Let's okay. just dive right in. Am I gonna start? You're gonna start. Great. We're gonna start with number ten and work our way up to one. If you didn't say that already, I didn't. I did. And uh, my number ten play is Other Desert Cities. Mm. However, the London production. Oh, twist. I'm I'm specifically calling out the London production that was at the Old Vic mm-hmm. with Sinead Cusack and Martha Plimpton. And I've said this on this show before. Martha Plimpton gave one of the most spectacular performances in that production I have ever seen. Mm. Love her. Martha, if you're listening, we want you on the show. Um, <laughs> but Other Desert Cities, John Robin Bates... Love him, love that play. Uh, so my 10 is Booty Candy, which is a play by Robert O'Hara, who is also a director. He directed Slave Play um, this past season in New York and has written you know, a bunch of other really great plays. But Booty Candy was really fabulous. I saw it at Woolly Mammoth Theater Company in uh, D.C., which is a really great company that does a lot of really bold emerging works. Um, and... Um, it came to New York, and it was that player at Horizons. But just like you called out the London production of Other Desert Cities, I'm going to call it the DC production of Booty Candy. Because the first time I saw it, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. Um, it was very uh, sort of like vignette-like. Um, and a meditation on um, blackness and queerness, which we saw reflected this past season you know, in the musical uh, Strange Loop. Um, similar, similar thematically. Um, and at the same time, just like... Absolutely hilarious. Uh, it was a really, really great show that is that has stuck with me. Wow. I hadn't even heard of it until you sent me this oh, list. Wow. I yeah. had to look it up. I knew nothing about it. Yeah. Sometimes you just miss things. Yeah. I'm sorry I missed that. Booty candy. Number 10, now we're going to go to musicals, right? Yes. We're going to bounce around a little yeah. bit. So my, my number 10 musical is Follies at the National Theater. Uh, Stunning production. We've talked about it before. We've had Tracy Bennett on who was in it. Yeah. If you listen to our top 10 of 2019, I included it um, in that list. And it's going to show up, spoiler alert, on my list uh, for the decade, but not yet. Not yet. Not yet. So what's your number 10 musical? Uh, my 10 is Soft Power. Uh, David Henry Huang and Janine Tesori's musical, which um, I'd seen in Los Angeles in 2018 and then uh, off-Broadway uh, at, at the Public Theater this past fall, uh, which is just such an ingenious, smart musical tackling you know, contemporary uh, themes and uh, really just about our democracy. Democracy will break your heart. Yes, and that show certainly did. And I, you know, that was a struggle. It was on my list. It was off my list. It's it, hard. It didn't. Coming up it with didn't ten make. It didn't make my ten of the yeah, decade. Yeah. Um. But, uh, but it's eleven probably. There you go. Yeah. 
I feel like a lot of things are 11, you know? Yeah, we, well, yeah, we, 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 might, we might get to all of our 11s. <laughs> we might not. All right. Um, number, number nine. Number nine, the, my play is Peter on the Starcatcher. Oh. Um, particularly, I, I, you know, I, I know several people that were involved in the... I know all of the people involved in the creation of that show, and, and I saw it in La Jolla. I saw it uh, at New York Theatre Workshop. I, was, I think I even saw it in Williamstown. I think they did it. Mm. Anyway, I saw, I saw that thing grow. Um, and I think it was wonderful on Broadway. It was never more special than it was at New York Theatre Workshop. It was really beautiful in that space. It just fits so perfectly. Yeah. So I, as much as I loved it on Broadway, I just want to do a little shout out to the, the New York Theatre Workshop. Well, New York Theatre Workshop is one of the most special theaters in New York City. I it mean, really there's, there's nothing beats the experience of seeing a show there. Um, so I totally get that. And I loved it. I saw it on Broadway, and I, I loved it. It was one that I, one that I caught. Um, okay, so my number nine play of the decade um, is The Inheritance, <laughs> which, you know, again, that was on my top 10 of 2019, uh, Matthew Lopez's modern adaptation of uh, Ian Forster's Howard's End, uh, set among a group of gay men in, in, in the present. Um, I loved this play. Um, I know it wasn't everyone's cup of tea. There's a lot of criticism around it. But um, for me, it was just such a beautiful piece. I loved the production of it. I think that part sort of got overlooked. Um, and also just the, the reflection on the intergenerational relationship among gay men is something that I don't think we talk about enough. Mm-hmm. And I had never seen dramatized in the way that it was here. And, um, you know, I always say a fact of being gay is that you're 99% of the time a minority in your own family. And, you know, gay people, LBLGBTQ community makes their own family. And that's that, that idea uh, as expressed in the show, um, I thought was quite poignant. I I agree with you, and yeah. it's 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 my number six. Okay, so it, all right, it, it, it appears a it little appears higher again. on my list. Yeah, yeah. You know, and this play in particular, not to belabor it, but you know, it's not shocking to me that it would be on our list because, oh. you know, not to call you out, but you lived through the AIDS crisis. I did, right? And I am a member of the young of the <laughs> the younger generation who is reflecting back on it, right? So. So we are we we sitting across from each other sort of represent the bounds of the characters and age wise in the play. We do right. So it's it's not surprising to me that we would both have that that experience. Well, since you brought it up, I, I did sit in hospitals right. and and hold the hands of friends of mine and watch them die and go to a lot of funerals right. and I was I was I bore witness to an entire generation just being wiped out, which is also one of the most. Dramatic moments in the play when yeah. the John Benjamin Hickey character says, yeah. screams, an entire generation is gone. I'm right. paraphrasing, that's not the yeah. exact words. But I say that because I feel like it gets forgotten a little bit yes. and it gets it gets swept under the rug that, mm-hmm. that, that that happened. And it's I think it's important to remember. And I think that it's powerfully and beautifully represented in this play. And I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. All righty, musicals. Number nine. Oh, are we on me? Oh, yeah, I got I got caught you up, got in, swept the up in the moment. I did. Well, you know, it's, for good cause. It, for good cause. Look, it's not. I, look, I'm. I'm. I consider myself a happy person. I consider myself a fairly well-adjusted person, neurotic as I am. <laughs> but I don't really look back at the '80s very often in that context. I right. look back at the '80s in my life as as a very. I, glo- I I too gloss over it, right? I think it's a I think it's a because uh, uh, well, it's painful. It's too. painful. Yeah. Um, and so I just for a moment I was just living and I was just thinking of 
some people very dear to me that are that are gone mm. and and um and it's it's affecting. Yeah. Uh, you have to remind me again where we were. Yeah, well, we're on number nine. Your musical. Oh, my number. No- oh, oh, well, uh, okay. total one eighty. Uh, yes, but but not really. It's actually a it's a it's a story about a gay person coming out. Yeah. Um, and that is everybody's talking about Jamie, the mm. musical from London. Now, is it just because the character's named Jamie? I have well, to ask. Well, it's a great. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a great it's a great name. It's a great title. Um, I think it's a great musical, and and I, I this is probably a controversial take, but um, again, that's what this is. These are my favorites. Yeah, I'm these are not, I'm not saying these are the best. These right. are the ones that I loved. That musical hit me hard, mm. and I don't think it's a perfect musical. I think it it's, it's what's a perfect musical? Right. It, it it everything could use a little tweaking here and there. Yeah. But I there was something about that show that just spoke to me Mm -hmm. and I loved it and I listened to that score all the time I I just I love it in me something as perfect as it's pure it means waiting Well, if you don't know the show, it's it's about a, a teenage drag queen who. Um, it's a true story. It's a true story. Yeah, it's based on a documentary yeah. um, that was that was produced um, about a teenage drag queen who uh, wants to go and drag to the prom, yeah. right? And it's funny, you know, uh, part of the reason why it it it, it probably hasn't come to uh, the U.S. is between Kinky Boots and the prom. You know, it's sort of like it feels like territory that has been covered, and yet this is a very unique and special thing unto itself, and deserves its own. Um, day in court, so it, to speak. It's really a show about empowerment, yeah. and it's really, yeah, really it's really beautiful. the story of somebody who says, "Fuck it, this is who I am." Yep. And I think those are the I love those stories. Yep. Yep. Well, my number nine um, musical of the decade is uh, probably one that no one knows. Um, and that, oh, don't say that. <laughs> and that's first daughter suite. Oh yeah, no one knows. Nobody that. knows that. Nobody knows that. So um, I'm obsessed with um, composer and writer, lyricist. Michael John Lacusha. You really are. I really am. Um, and the first piece he ever did, the first full-length piece he ever produced, um, was the First Lady Suite, which was at Lincoln Center in like 1993, a year see, before. I was again. at the Public. I'm pretty sure it was at Lincoln Center. Um, I see. I have this clear memory of seeing it at the Public maybe Theater. It was at the public. I, I'm I don't sure know. you're right. Anyway, I'm not um, saying you're. It not. happened in 1993, um, and that was a series of four musical vignettes um, uh, bringing to life the story of four different. First Ladies. Um, so in 2015, at the public, um, he wrote a companion piece to it, First Daughter Suite, uh, which takes the same structure for different vin- vignettes, uh, but this time um, focusing on the stories of first daughters and their relationships with their first first mothers, first ladies, mothers. <laughs> um, and uh, I loved this piece. There's a cast recording. Thankfully, they recorded it 
um, an exquisite cast, including you know Mary Testa. And we love Mary Testa. Barbara Walsh. We and, love Barbara Walsh. Um, the Betsy Morgan and oh, Rachel we, Bay Jones. I mean, I could go on. Like, yeah, it is a great. It was like a parade of of your favorite female performers, all in one really smart political historical piece, which are just all my themes. So. Yeah. They really are your Yeah, themes. those are all my themes in I'm one show. I'm sensing a theme yeah. in our list Yeah, so here. far I've said soft power and first daughter suite. Very political. Yeah. Um, and mine yeah. are all shows about fagalas. Well, stop. Um, okay, well, speaking of, number eight. Casa Valentina. <laughs> there you go. Harvey Firestein's masterpiece. Mm. Um, I'm so I, bummed I missed it. Uh, I, I've, I've, I I've also seen several productions of this, including... I went with Harvey Firestein to the Pasadena Playhouse oh, cool. to see their production of yeah. it. This um, was on Broadway, though, in 2014. It, this was on Broadway. It was at Manhattan Theater Club yes. at the Biltmore, mm-hmm. which it's not called the Biltmore anymore. No, it's the Samuel J. Friedman Sorry, Theater. Sorry, Mr. Yeah. Friedman. Yeah. At the Friedman. Stunning production. Really, again, with Patrick Page, who we love. Yeah. Um, really, really wonderful play. And what's that story? It's based on a real place uh, in the late 50s or early 60s in the Catskills, there was a place called Casa Susana, mm-hmm. which was a place that men could go who were transvestites and spend the weekend. Mm. And they weren't all, you know, some of them were gay, but mostly they were straight men yeah. who just were transvestites right. and had no outlet to, to, to do yeah. this. And so there was a, there was a, like a, a resort in the Catskills mm. where they could dress up and be whoever they wanted to be. And this is a play about that yeah. experience. Uh, and well, it's... Harvey Firestein is just the best of us, right? He really is. And like he unearths these pieces of history. You know, we just saw it with Bella Bella uh, uh, this past fall, where he tells a story that like hasn't been told and needs to be urgently told right, right now, and that is relevant, yeah. right? And that yeah. and that's, so smart. That, that says something about our time, and mm-hmm. and is also deeply personal to him, right? Um, yeah. Which is why I think his plays are so wonderful. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that are deeply personal, um, my number eight play is Significant Other. Joshua Harmon's play that was at, uh, I saw it off-Broadway at the Roundabout um, in the Laura Pels, and then um, Intrepid Producers brought it to Broadway in 2017 at the Booth Theater, um, starring Gideon Glick um, as a young gay man sort of navigating uh, that very real experience that I had of, you know, sort of having a circle of female friends who one by one are paired off with their husbands or partners, as you will, um, and discovering, you know, sort of having to make reforge your own uh, identity and and friend circle in your late twenties as you're figuring out what it actually means to be a a gay man, um, because you know we don't really have that exp- the same experience that our straight counterparts have uh, earlier in life. Sort of figuring all that out. So this play, you know, it was not a hit. Um, it was kind of you know dismissed, um, but to me was an easy favorite because. In a lot of eerie ways, it was like watching my life on stage, which can be devastating, but also really instructive and really beautiful and really powerful. I should mention, uh, legendary actor Barbara Berry was in that play. And, you know, it's a treat to see her do anything, but she played the grandmother who's sort of like the, you know, older sage in in this character's life. Um, Jordan Bellman, I think, is the character. I don't know. Maybe I dreamed that. Um, Anyway, I loved that play. Did you see it? I never knew, we've talked about this play a couple yeah. of times, and I never knew that you felt so personal. I, I never felt... I. Oh, yeah. I never knew that the story was so personal to oh, you. Oh, totally. I had yeah. no idea that you related oh, yeah. with the experience yeah. that was yeah. happening. And, I, and, I, and while, while we're talking about a decade's worth of things, the greatest Tony nomination snub of the decade was Gideon Glick, 
yeah. not being nominated for a Tony for this show because he was on stage the entire time and gave an incredible, nuanced, beautiful performance. Yeah. Um, and he deserved not only a nomination, he deserved a Tony Award. I don't know who won it that year, but... I agree. Well, he did get a nomination a few years later. He got my Tony Award, so... Yeah, we'll just he did get a nomination a few years later. Was he not nominated for... To Kill a Mockingbird, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. All right, so moving to musicals, number eight. My number eight is Anyone Can Whistle, uh, uh, 2010 at Encores with the always incredible, always perfect Donna Murphy. Oh, my God. In the role that was made famous by Angela Lansbury, yeah. Sutton Foster as, uh, as Faye Apple, the role made famous, if you will, by Lee Remick, and then Raul Esparza, who was... Absolutely perfection as uh, in everything, but but <laughs> but in this, you know, yeah. I, I would imagine if you listen to the this podcast, you are familiar with Anyone Can Whistle, which was a, a huge flop. Seven of, performances, seven right? perform yeah. as Lee Remick said, yeah. or nine performances. So as Lee Remick said on the Tonys in 1987, the nine happiest yeah. nights of my life. <laughs> and uh, but it was a big flop, mm -hmm. and uh, by Stephen Sondheim and Arthur Lawrence. Correct. And directed by... Arthur Lawrence. Oh, directed by Arthur Lawrence. Yeah. I think he wrote the book and directed it. Right, he yeah. did. But it's a fabulous score. It's a show that probably doesn't work. And what I love about encores is that they do these shows that, that don't get done. But somehow in the context of doing it stripped down at encores, it worked perfectly. Mm. And also, probably outside of Angela Lansbury, who originated, there's no one who could have played this part better than Donna Murphy? Oh Absolutely yeah. no one. There's a little bit of YouTube video of it, shaky camera, can't see much, <laughs> but you get a sense of what a flawless, flawless performance yeah. she I, gave. One of my biggest regrets in life, or at least in the last decade, is that I didn't catch this. There's one Sondheim show that I haven't seen, and it's Anyone Can Whistle. I thought, you, had you seen Do I Hear a Waltz? Oh, I don't consider that a Sondheim show. Really? I, I'm of the ones he wrote oh, the book, the, the music and right. lyrics too. Right. This yeah. is another one where I, yeah. I, I saw whatever Thursday night performance, right. and then he went, went back. back Friday, yeah. went back Saturday, and yeah. went back to their Sunday. Well, at you have me at Donna Murphy. Yeah. Frankly, you have me at Donna. You don't even need the Murphy. Yeah. I'm there at Donna. It. It, it was. Yeah. Um, oh it my gosh. Was, it was magic. Well, my magic. number eight uh, musical is another revival, um, Oklahoma. But it's not the Oklahoma you're thinking of. Mm. So in 2010, Arena Stage in Washington, D.C. did a revival of Oklahoma directed by Molly Smith, who was their artistic director, um, in their, their theater that's in the round. And I didn't know Oklahoma. This was my first introduction to Oklahoma. Somehow it had just always passed me by. And... It remains, I mean, clearly it's on my top 10 of the last decade. It's one of my favorite theatrical experiences ever. This was a joyous, gorgeous, beautiful production of Oklahoma that was traditional, yes, but also not traditional in a lot of ways. Um, it had a featured a multicultural cast, mm -hmm. um, including an African-American Lori and an and, and Hispanic Curly, um, and uh, really brought to life sort of the the reality of the diversity of the Oklahoma Territory, uh, which is a, a piece of history that is overlooked. When Molly Smith was you know, researching for this production, she discovered that actually, yes, at the time, there were African-Americans in the Oklahoma Territory. There were Asian, Asian uh, Im immigrants working on the railroad. You know, right. I mean, there, it, was, it was not this lily-white, blonde-haired community that you, know, you always see reflected in this show. So the multicultural casting of it was uh, sort of a breakthrough at the time. And it was 
acclaimed. There were rumors it was going to come to Broadway. Oh, you know, my husband and I came very close to, we tried to get down to yeah. see it because everybody was talking yeah. about it. It sold out and then it yeah. came back in 2011. I saw it again in 2011. <laughs> I mean, it was a real landmark. It also was the first show um, at the new Arena Stage facility. They yes. had redone their theater. So it was a big moment for DC theater, um, which is a big moment for you know theater nationwide. Um, so that production will always be really special to me. Oklahoma 2010 Arena Stage. Number seven. My number seven play is The Normal Heart. Ugh. And again, I have to qualify that there were sort of two productions of mm -hmm. that. There was the, it started as a reading, uh, was I think a one night reading um, that Joel Gray directed in 2010 at the Walter Kerr, which then led to, I think a year or two later, the full Broadway production, which, yeah. which was basically... Basically, that same reading, but with lots of production elements and a yeah. slightly different. And I think cast. George Wolf got involved in that and, production, as right? Well. And I was going to yeah. say, and by that point, George Wolf had come in and 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 co-directed it with with Joel. Was the cast the same? Largely, at the Kerr, it was Glenn Close as mm. the Doctor, and on Broadway, it was Ellen Barkin who yes. won a Tony Award, yes. I believe, for that. I think that's right. But Glenn Close it, again, it's one of those was one of those magical performances I that you imagine. only got to see. I think it was one night only. It might have been, I think it was one night only. Yeah. Um, and then they did it in LA, I think, yeah. after that. But but that show, that that moment in time for that show, both of those productions, yeah. just staggering. Yeah. Well, it's going to show up on my list. Um, so I'll, I'll say my piece now. Um, you know, that it's if you don't know the play, it's a play by Larry Kramer, um, who, in addition to being an incredible writer, um, was an activist and is an activist, um, uh, particularly around um, you know AIDS, HIV/AIDS activism in the 1980s. Sort of started, um, you know, the 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 movement uh, for fighting for um, you know civil and human rights. Well, and he started access, act he started up. act up, right? You know, Just, and um, you know, sort of changed the face of that fight single-handedly. You know, with his leadership and getting others on board. Uh, and this play sort of dramatizes that that period. The the thing that's striking about this play, I, I saw it on Broadway in 2011, um, is that it was written in 1985. And Joel Gray was in the original production he at was. the Public Theater. Um, he was a replacement um, because the actor he replaced was dying of AIDS. And sitting in the theater in 2011 as someone you know who I was you know obviously a lot younger than I am now, but was in my early 20s and didn't really have a sense of what that moment was like, right? Of what the early days of the AIDS crisis were like. Um, seeing it dramatized and knowing that at the time it was written, it was not history, it was current events. And knowing as I left the theater in 2011 and seeing Larry Kramer there handing out pamphlets saying exactly that point, this isn't history, it's current events. Yeah. We are still living in a crisis. It He's looks right. differently than it did in 1981, but it's here. And, you know, talk about political theater, talk about a piece that is just, you know, rips your heart out. It was one of the few times in my life where I've had a hard time getting up out of my seat after the show. It finished, and I had to be, an usher had to say, like, okay, you've got to go. leave. <laughs> That's how moved I was by that piece. Mm -hmm. um, just incredible. It's a powerful piece of theater. Oh, yeah. No question. I was a member of ACT UP. Wow. Yeah. So it it you know it was a tough time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, well, my number seven play is The Humans, Stephen Karam's play that uh, won the Tony Award for Best Play in 2016. Did it win the Pulitzer? 
If not, it deserved it. Um, I don't think it did. Yeah. Um, just extraordinary, not only for the play itself, which is brilliant, but that ensemble of actors, um, particularly uh, Reed Burney. Reed Burney. Reed Jane Burney Howdy and Jane Howdy Shell. Oh, both of whom won Tony Awards, right? Or uh, she, they, won. she won. She won. She won. She won. I don't um, know. I think he did too. It was like everyone in that company was nominated. It, it was such a sensational play that captured, um, you know, a, a, a strata of life, of, you know, our society that you don't see dramatized often um, in such a real way, in such a powerful way. Um, I was blown away by this play. Um, I took my brother to see it, and he was just in tears he was so moved by um, the power of the story. Um, yeah. It's a real slice of life. Yeah. That, that's, that's exactly it. It's And those are hard to do. Yes. And those are hard to do well, and they're hard to make as impactful as he was able to do. And yeah. I think it's um, I think it's an important piece. It, it um, I feel like it's on mine. It is on my list. It, it was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. I just, mm. I just Googled that. And uh, Joe Mantello directed, right? And like anytime Joe Mantello is directing something, you know it's going to be great. Who was in a The normal, normal, heart. normal Heart. That's right. Ooh, it's all coming it's together. All, it's all connected. Yes. Okay. Um, my number seven musical is a musical that's much talked about on this show, and that is Oklahoma. Yes, but in fact, we just talked about it. The, we did indeed. <laughs> but the Oklahoma that is the Daniel Fish Oklahoma, which is the... Uh, the version that... Soon closing on Broadway. Soon closing yes. on Broadway that started at Bard mm-hmm. and then moved to St. Anne's Warehouse yes. and then eventually, thankfully, made it to Broadway. We've talked about it so much. Yeah. We have an episode based... Well, we have an episode with uh, two of the stars, Ali Stroker and Mary Testa. I think I'll just leave it there. Yeah. It's going to show up on my list too. Um, number seven on my list for musicals is The Scottsboro Boys. Uh, Kander and Ebbs, one of their last collaborations, if not their last collaboration. In fact, Fred Ebb had died before... It even premiered. Um, I saw it on Broadway in 2011. It was at the Vineyard Theater before that. Susan Stroman directed. Um, you know, again, <laughs> really, I'm showing all my cards here. A piece of history. Yep. Um, musicalized uh, in a way that um, at the time, you know, it was a hit at the Vineyard and was sort of uh, a, a bit of a disappointment on Broadway. You know, it kind of didn't make the waves that I think everyone was expecting it would. Didn't run very long. Didn't run very long. Um, I didn't see it. In fact, I have you to thank for seeing it. Yes. Because because you told me to see it when I was in D.C. Yes. Which not only did that bring that magnificent show into my life, but it also introduced me to the Signature Theater. Yes, that's right. Yes. So there was, was, it had its first regional production in 2018 at Signature Theater in Arlington, um, which just goes to show how like overlooked the show has been, right? That like it premiered in 2011 on Broadway and then had not had another regional production for seven years. For seven years, which That's is crazy, kind of crazy. Um, and if you don't know the you know the story, it's a story about um, the Scottsboro Nine and nine African American boys, really. I mean, truly boys, um, and you know teenagers and and younger who were falsely accused of raping two white women in Alabama in uh, the early 20th century, and um, there was no evidence. I mean, they were just completely. Um, you know, uh, uh, falsely accused of this crime. And the show follows them through the legal process over the course of like nearly two decades. Um, it's a tragic story. It's a story of America's racial past that, you know, again, we, we never confront these things. So to see it confronted in a musical. But what was amazing about the musical is that it took the form of a minstrel show. Mm-hmm. 
I had an all-black cast except for one uh, white member, uh, John Cullum, the incredible John Cullum. Um, and I think that was part of the controversy around the show, frankly, is that it used the form of a minstrel show to tell the story. And you know, minstrelsy obviously is very offensive. But that was part of the point. That, and I think, I think it was just, the whole point. It was the whole point, right? People just completely missed what Kander and Ebb and Susan Stroman were doing with this piece. And it's one of those musicals that I feel like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, someone's going to do a revival and it's going to be the biggest thing ever. And everyone's going to be like, oh my God, where was this musical? And I will show up on opening night and say, ha ha ha, I was there in 2011, original fan of the show. So, Oz won't say nothing. It wouldn't help nothing when you truth and nothing but uh, number six play my number six is the inheritance which we talked about which we talked about I think we can leave it there yes. I think it's a magnificent well it's my number six there you go it's your number six my number six is a view from the bridge the 2015 production there have been a couple revivals in this that there have decade it's an Arthur Miller play that gets done often um, because it's a fantastic play but the 2015 production on Broadway had come from I believe the young Vic so. Or was it the old Vic? One of the Vicks. One of the Vicks. One of the Vicks in London. Eva um, van Hove. Eva van Hove, the Belgian uh, auteur of a director. Um, this production, it was my introduction to the play. It's, I feel like it's kind of spoiled me forever because I'm always going to want to see this version. Um, it was performed almost like in a boxing ring um, with the audience you know, seated um, almost completely in the round and in plain clothes, very nondiscreet, and it was... One of the most intense experiences I've ever spent in the theater, culminating, you know, now that I'm not spoiling anything, in a like literal shower of blood on stage. Um, there was a slow drum beat in the background throughout the entire show. Like, the man's a master at creating tension and putting the audience on the, you know, sort of the edge of their seat. Um, I absolutely loved it. It was, it was brilliant. Number six, musical. Soft power. Yeah, which we talked about. Which love we it. talked about. Love it, love and it. Uh, particularly, I will say, yes. soft power in San Francisco. Mm, there was something yeah, about the way it lived in the Curran Theater. There was something about the distance between the stage and the audience that just worked so beautifully. Whether I was sitting in the mezzanine, sitting in a great orchestra seat or standing in the back which I did I, I, I was at the current theater a lot yeah. <laughs> during the run of that show yeah. and uh, and it was it was wonderful off Broadway I don't mean to take anything away from it because it's a brilliant piece of right. theater no lives, matter what it stands on its own but, but for me in particular I have to say it was that run at the current that was just magic yeah well you, you've touched on something that I think uh, you know the, the a good portion of the show is a musical within the play that is supposed to be like the greatest musical that has ever been produced in China. So seeing it in a Broadway scale theater, it allows you to um, to even be more immersed in what that what that Correct. concept is supposed to be, right? Which you couldn't really do at the public theater because it's the Newman Theater and it is what it is, right? It's not a Broadway house. Um, my number six musical is A Strange Loop. Yay! Which was my number one show of 2019. 
uh, Michael R. Jackson's just absolutely brilliant self-referential musical um, that is sort of like dramaturgically mind-blowing and brilliant um, and touches on, you know, questions of black and queer identity um, in a way that I had never seen in a musical before. Um, just absolutely loved it, and I know you do too. And it's going to show up again. <laughs> so, yes. Moving it, on. Yeah. This, there is a little bit of crossover with yeah, our yeah. lists. Well, that's, um, of course. Number five. Angels in America. Ugh. Hands down, I think just you know one of the great plays and a great production. So this was the 2018 production on Broadway. Which Specifically been, on Broadway. I, at I, the National Theater. I saw it at the National Theater. It was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. There was a bit of a cast change. There was one of the cast members didn't come over. However, there was something about the entire company and Denise Goff in particular and James... McArdle. Yeah, James McArdle. The two of them in particular really grew yes. into their roles from London to to the there's States. A, there's also something about seeing angels in America in America, Correct. right? I mean, you know, there's a, there's a there's a knowing sense of the history and the context that you just feel in an audience of Americans that you, you know, try as hard as you might, you might not be able to experience in a, in a British crowd. And I think the intimacy of a Broadway theater versus the sort of cavernous Gilgood right. yeah. um, at the National also really helped just inform that whole production. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, Marianne Elliott, the director, um, you know, did a fabulous job, you know, sort of reimagining Angels in America for, you know, modern uh, theater goers. And I, um, you know, this is one I really struggled with because I really wanted it to be in my top 10. It would be my 11. We were talking about 11s there, before. There's a lot of 11s. You know, because it was a really great, really, really great production. And, and a privilege to see Angela in America done on that scale, right? It had been at Signature Theater right. off-Broadway earlier in the decade, which, which, which is why different... I pointed out which production you, you right. were referring to. Right, Because it was also was... an opera version at BAM. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um, and we, I, I'm sorry, I cannot talk about this production of yes. Angels in America without saying well. thank you, Jordan Roth, for bringing this production over. Yes. Thank you, Jordan Roth, for believing in this production. Totally. And thank you, Jordan Roth, for allowing this production to be seen by everyone that was fortunate enough to see it. Yep, because that is, that, that is... It's a masterwork like Follies that everyone agrees is brilliant, but is never commercially successful. So you know going into it that it's not going to make money, but and, that's not why you do it. And it's a risk that, thank God, he took yeah. because he understands yep. what it means to our society totally. to be able to see this play. And Tony Kushner. Well, I, I mean, mean, it all come on. It all starts with Tony Kushner and the masterpiece that he yeah. wrote. It's a masterpiece, and 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 the prescience of his writing too. The fact that it was written, you know, in the late '80s, early '90s, finally making its way to Broadway in 1993, and it is still speaking to us. It is still revealing its own truths two decades later. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. My number five play uh, is A Doll's House Part 2. Lucas Nath's uh, continuation, I should say, of um, A Doll's House, um, which was on Broadway in 2017. We were just praising Jordan Roth for putting Angels in America on Broadway. I'm going to give a shout out to Scott Rudin, another producer, um, who had the foresight to take this play by an unknown playwright um, that had literally premiered on the West Coast like a couple weeks before it opened on Broadway. So this was a show that no one had seen. No one knew anything other th- about it or its playwright other than the title, which at the time before I saw it was like, that is like the worst title of a play ever. <laughs> yeah, a Doll's House Part 2, are you kidding me? I walked out of that show after you know 90 minutes with my head spinning. I was like riding a high. I had to like walk home because I had so much energy I couldn't sit on a train, right? Like Laurie Metcalf and um, Jane Howdyshell and Condola Rashad and Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper, thank you. Chris Cooper were an outstanding ensemble in that play directed by Sam Gold um, that picks up 20 years after A Doll's House ends. After she closes the door. Yeah, and it starts with that door knock, right? And she comes back, Nora comes back, and it was absolutely brilliant. There's no greater joy in life than Jane Howdy Shell saying, fuck you, Nora. So much so that I think they made tote bags. I have a tote bag. There you go, let's say it. Yes, that's how amazing that moment was. And I should say, uh, Julie White replaced Laurie Metcalf. She was fabulous. And she was fabulous too. I went back to see it. And it's a testament to the strength of the text that it really, it it withstood a a cash change. Um, So Doll's House Part Two, absolutely loved it. My number five musical. Um, we are we are back at the public theater, yeah. and we are. Did we ever leave the public? No, theater, we, we should, No one should ever leave the public right. theater. But this would be the musical version of Love's Labor's Lost, which was the Michael Friedman musical that played at the Delacorte Theater um, in the summer of. I don't know actually. Yeah. Early, it was this decade, though. You do know that. It, I do know it was yeah. this decade. And I should say, you know, speaking of, we've talked about, you know, the AIDS crisis a couple times on the show. Michael Friedman, who passed away right. in 2019, 2018. 2018. Um, from AIDS, yeah. right? Which is just a reminder of how real, you know, that crisis remains. Right. And, and think of all of the wonderful work that we will not get from right? him. Hey, boys, I'm through with you. Hey, boys, you don't have a clue. My number five uh, musical is The Band's Visit, which I got like the last ticket to when it was off-Broadway at the Atlantic Theater Company in 2016, and then was jumping for joy when it opened on Broadway in 2017, and then won all the Tony Awards in 2018, and it's just a perfect musical. You know, there are very few musicals that are perfect, and I would submit that The Band's Visit is one of them. You also called the band's visit a slow burn, which I thought was a really good way yes, to totally, describe it. Totally, totally. Well, you know, it's David Cromer directed it with originally Hal Prince was attached to the project. 
Um, and David Cromer um, came, you know, to be associated with it and directed it and guided it so beautifully to Broadway. It was uh, Ben Brantley called it in his review. He was like, "Thank God, a musical for adults." Yeah. Right, That's like what it is. finally a musical for adults. There were a lot of shows that we loved over the past decade that took place in high schools, mm-hmm. um, you know, or were jukebox musicals. Nothing wrong with a jukebox musical, but this was a, an original piece, you know, based off of a film, right? So film adaptations, you know, a little light music is a film adaptation. Um, a lot of you know, musical theater is an adaptive form, right? There are very few musicals that are purely original, but um, this was such a quiet beautiful, slow burn of a musical that in the end, if you weren't crying, I don't know what to do or to say to you. Yeah, no, I know. I wasn't saying that to you. I'm saying you yeah. generally, you know, the public. Right. If that show didn't get you, then I don't know what would. And you are dead inside. You're dead inside. There's no hope. And that was, I should say, David Yazbek wrote the music uh, and lyrics um, and one of his best scores, if not his finest score, which you might fight me on because I know you love Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I love the score to Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> it's one of my absolute yeah, favorite yeah, yeah. scores of the last. You know, two decades. Yeah. So I, I, but I'm not going to fight you. That seems aggressive. Okay. Okay. So number, number four. F- number four. Um, I, I, a tie. My mm. my tie is between the humans, which we discussed, yes. and the wolves. Ah, oh, Sarah Delaps the wolves. Which where I, did you see it? Because it had several iterations, and I, each of them sold out. Did I see it at Playwrights Horizon? I saw it on Forty Second Street. So that's I think that's right. I think it was at Playwrights. Yeah. Um, I saw it at Lincoln Center. And then I saw another production of it in San Francisco. Oh, okay. Um, at the, some, a- a- ACT has a, like a small like black box theater. Yeah. Where they, I think that's where it was. Um, but it was stunning off-Broadway. Yeah. And, and one of those plays that you walked out of the theater going, what did I just see? Mm-hmm. What was that about? And then it just sort of sat with you. It yeah. didn't leave you. for. It hasn't left me. No. Um, the stunning piece of theater. Yeah. And it, I think it's done regionally all over. So it, it's... Good. It's, I mean, it, it, it deserves to enjoy a really long and fruitful life um, in any form. I was kind of bummed it didn't make the leap to Broadway because it felt like the kind of play that, that should. And that was, I think that was, what, 2015, 2016? Something like that. Um, I feel like we're now in a moment where that would happen, right? I mean, things have changed so much over the course of this decade, which is something that hopefully is being revealed by the picks that we have. Um, my number four is Mr. Burns, a post-electric play, and Washburn play, that I saw at Woolly Mammoth Theater Company in D.C. Again, another You love DC, a Woolly Mammoth. I love a Woolly Mammoth. Um, and again, made the same path as Booty Candy to New York and played at Playwrights Horizons, right? So it's sort of like the Playwrights Horizons of D.C., um, right. Woolly Mammoth is. Um, and this play, which uh, David Henry Huang actually cited as inspiration for soft power, is um, a show that deals with mythology. Um, it's, uh, did you see it? No. You didn't see it? Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. I know it was on that list of the top 25 plays of the last 25 years, the New York Times did, um, because an episode of The Simpsons beca- you know, is, is used in a sort of post-apocalyptic uh, U.S. as a way for these refugees to sort of find common you know, uh, bond uh, as they're sort of on the run. 
And then what you see over the course of the play after they have you know, shared their joy, their recounting of this episode of The Simpsons, um, is that it echoes forth into the future. And that story becomes mythologized and ends up being something totally different from what it started as. And you see the iterations of it along the way. Absolutely brilliant. It's you know, a comment on society. It's a comment on storytelling. It's a comment on theater. Um, and dramaturgically, just so brilliant. I'm sorry I missed it. Yeah. Well, it's one that I have a feeling will have, you know, has had a life and will continue to have a life. Yeah, it was just at Yale Rep. Yeah, we, exactly. we had talked about yeah. trying to get up yeah, there and yeah. then, you know, who has time who to... Who has the time? Musicals. Okay, my number four is Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. Uh, Joel Gray's stunning, yes. stunning production. I, I have to say, it's beautiful off-Broadway at stage 42. However, when it played at the Museum of Jewish Heritage in Battery Park... Mm. Walking out of that theater and past Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty is so seared in my memory of being part of that production and a very key sort of button on the whole thing that it really, it was stunning. Yeah. That's, again, candidate for 11, right, on my list, right? I mean, easy 11. I adored that production. What Joel Gray did um, to unearth the humanity of those characters um, was unforgettable. And it closes at the end of the week, so you still have time to yes, jump and can, get a ticket. If, if, there are, if there are any available. Um, my number four musical of the decade would be Carolina Change, uh, which uh, obviously was created the decade prior, but received um, a top-notch revival um, over in the UK, um, starting at the Chichester Festival. Chichester. Chichester. That's hard to say. Chichester. Chichester. Um, and moving uh, to the West End in 2018, I caught a production there. It's coming to Broadway this spring. That production that I saw um, is coming to Broadway this spring. It's my number one favorite musical, probably. And how many sets of tickets do you have already? Um, I'm going to keep that information private. Okay. Yeah, Good. I think it's, it's best for all involved yeah. that that not be We're, publicly known. Yes, um, I actually do know. If you need to find me this spring, I'll be at 254 West 54th Street. You uh, will. <laughs> and, and I have a feeling we're going to talk about it a fair amount. Yes, uh, yes. And get used months. to hearing the name Sharon D. Clark. Absolutely. Uh, she stars in this, uh, this particular production. And um, again, Tony Kushner, Janine Tesori, names we've already mentioned on this episode. They wrote this musical in 2004, and I feel like it's another one that is finally, you know, it's having what I predicted will happen with the Scottsboro Boys. It's right. having this moment of, oh, yeah, that was a brilliant show that right. was not appreciated at its time. Um, so Sometimes we'll, you need time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, number three. I can promise you my number three is not on anybody's list, Ooh. but it's on mine, and that wait. is David Henry Wong's 2011 Chinglish. Ah, I don't know this play. I love Chinglish. It's a really, really smart and funny play. What's it about? And it, it's about the different, it, you know, it's not dissimilar in themes to uh, soft power. Mm. It's about the different culture, the different cultures between the West and, mm -hmm. and, and the East, particularly America and China. Yeah. And it's about an American businessman who's doing business with a Chinese corporation, and he meets a Chinese translator, and he learns a very funny and very hard lesson in um, uh, foreign relations. Mm. And uh, it's was, a, this, was this on Broadway? It or? was. It was, yeah. it was, was off-Broadway at the public, I'm, I would imagine. I actually wasn't going to see it, 
and um, we got a ticket. I got a ticket for the final performance. Yeah. And boy, am I and glad that was number I did. three. And now it's number three. Yeah. I watched it recently preparing for David Henry Wong to come on our show last year. I went to Lincoln Center and watched it yeah. again and was reminded at what a just a beautiful and funny. Sometimes it's okay to just laugh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Show. And you know I love I love his work. Oh my gosh. He's, I mean, he's a master formalist. He's an incredible playwright. Um, and just a, such an important voice in the American theater and has been for decades and hopefully will continue to be yeah. for and, decades. And this play is, I will say, it's, uh, it's on the lighter side, right? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very funny. Like Yellowface, yeah. which I've read. I haven't seen Yellowface, but it's another play of his that is really funny, but also is making a really important point. Yeah. Um, my number three play, um, which I can promise is on nobody's list, um, is The Damned. Which um, was another Evil Van Hove production. This was at the Park Avenue Armory in 2018. Uh, if you've never been to the Park Avenue Armory, they curate really great seasons, and their space is just this giant drill hall. Um, so they're able to produce works on a scale that you really can't see anywhere else. Uh, and this is a stage adaptation of a film from the 60s of the same title, The Damned. Uh, Visconti, I believe, is the director. Yep. Um, this was done by the uh, Comedie Francaise, right? The like 400, 500 year old company from France. Uh, and it tells the story of a, of a German industrialist family and their sort of decline paralleled with the rise of the Third Reich. Um, it's horrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. It was one of the scariest things I've ever seen live and in person. Um, the imagery of that show, I can summon it all in my mind. It haunts me. It was violent and sexual and graphic and deeply upsetting, uh, deeply memorable and... I don't know what it says about me, but one of my favorite shows, number three of the last decade. Deeply disturbing and upsetting. Yeah, I love violent it. and sexual. Please also include that. Um, number three, musical. A Strange Loop. Ah, uh, We've already talked about. We have, and I think we can leave it there and, and just say that I hope it gets another production and get the album. Get the album. Listen to it right now. Um, and, well, not right now. Finish this episode, then listen to it. Um, and to ping pong here, my number three is Oklahoma, which we already talked about. Daniel Fish's Oklahoma. Second time Oklahoma appears on my list, but a different production, uh, the brilliant one that is closing soon on Broadway. Okay, number two plays. Ooh, we're getting to the end. Um, my number two is Three Tall Women, the uh, production of 2018 that starred Laurie Metcalf and Allison Pill and drum roll. Glenda Jackson mm. in, a, in, in one of the finest Productions of a play I've ever seen. Directed by Joe Mantello. Directed by Joe Mantello. And produced by Scott Rudin. Right. There's a lot of familiar names on this, uh, yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. No, it was magnificent. It was, a, it was an, an Edward Albee play that had won the Pulitzer Prize and had a very healthy run off Broadway in the 1990s, but was sort of forgotten almost. Yeah. And Scott Rudin had the foresight again to put it on stage with these incredible actors. One of my, I mean, it wasn't on my top 10, but again, it's an 11. Um, one of my favorite uh, performances ever. We have a my, lot of 11s. A lot of 11s. 11s are a really thick uh, band of plays. Um, my number two, uh, as no surprise to anyone who knows me, is what the Constitution means to me. I have to say I'm surprised. <gasps> I'm shocked when I read this list that it was number two. And not number one. Shocked. Oh, wow. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah. I actually had to like, Look at the paper twice wow. to make sure that I was reading it correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You really threw me for a loop with yeah. this one. Well, Heidi Schreck's um, play, What the Constitution Means to Me, um, I, will, I will always consider to be one of the best things that I've ever seen. I saw it off-Broadway at New York Theatre Workshop 
where it arrived after being developed at Club Thumb. Um, and on, amazingly, again, thanks to some intrepid visionary producers, moved to Broadway and was a sensation there. Um, and did beautifully. Did, I mean, it did recouped, great business. And did great business. I mean, it was like the little show that could. Yeah, it's a um, testament to believe in your art. Yes, and you know, this is a play about uh, one woman's relationship with the Constitution and through the lens of the women in her family and in the context of the society that we live in. There's nothing that was more uh, timely in 2019, 2018, particularly as we were seeing Kavanaugh put on the Supreme Court and Trump and all the just horror that we're living through. This play was a beacon of hope, a beacon of truth, uh, and a really powerful, courageous act of citizenship for Heidi Schreck to write this piece. Uh, It's touring the country right now, if you can see it, not with Heidi, but with other actors, which is also really exciting. I I would love to see someone else uh, step into the shoes. Oh, something tells me that you will. Yeah, if I can make it happen, I will. Um, But yes, I think it's one of the most important plays of the decade. Certainly one of my favorite at number two. Musicals. Well, my number two. We are back at the public theater. Yeah, did surprise, we leave? Did surprise. we leave? <laughs> I, I never leave the public yeah, theater. In your mind. Um, the public theater in your mind. Which I think they're slightly aware of, too. <laughs> um, Here Lies Love. Mm. David Burns' opus to the Emilda Marcos. Well, to really the Marcoses. It's really, yeah. it's really both their story, although it, it, yeah. tends to, it tends to really tell it through her lens. This is a show that you look at the original cast list and you're like, oh my God. Talk about a stacked cast, right? Well, it's Ruthie Ann Miles mm-hmm. playing Emilda Marcos. Yeah. Um, Ferdinand Marcos is played by Jose Lana, mm-hmm. who's been on our show Guest and of the who show. Yes. we are huge fans of. Yes. Conrad Ricamora, who was in Soft Power, yes. plays mm-hmm. um, Aquino. Mm-hmm. And an incredible ensemble, ensemble of yeah. Billy Bustamante. Yes. I mean, it just it, it, goes on. It yeah. goes on and on. And that was and it, you know, an immersive production by Alex Timbers, the director, um, where you sort of moved around the space. George uh, Salazar. George Salazar was in it. There you go. I mean, see, we, again, if we, if we had it in front of us, we could name drop, you know, another <laughs> 10 people, I'm sure. Yeah, really incredible. Um, I saw it when it came back to the public, right? Because it was one of the, it was such a hit that it, Came back, um, and it was certainly one of the more unique experiences I've ever had. It was one of the first sort of like immersive shows, right? To be in New York, to really, um, you know, where you moved. Yeah, right? it was sort of meant to be a dance party too. Yeah. There was a, there, there have been a lot of environmental show. I mean, you think of like how Princess Candide, right? Environmental theater has always existed, but the sort of was ahead of the curve on this newer wave. You know, Sleep No More and all these other types of immersive experiences. Um, your Last Love was certainly a landmark show for, for that movement. And it's recorded, and it's well worth a listen yeah, to. Yeah, I know I should listen to it. I haven't listened to it since I saw it. Oh, I listen to it all the time. Yeah. My number two musical, um, which I think Jamie peaked and expressed his surprise at, um, is Hello, Dolly. Yeah, your number twos are very controversial. I know. Between what the Constitution means to me and Hello, Dolly, you would have expected them to be my number ones. Absolutely. Specifically, this is the glorious, heaven-sent 2017 Broadway revival um, starring Bette Midler and David Hyde Pierce and Jennifer Samard. 
and Gavin Creel and Kate Baldwin and uh, Beanie Feldstein and Taylor Trench. I could go on. This production, and I, this is going to sound so dramatic, but we're dramatic here on the show. It's a theater podcast. This show got me through 2017. In the wake of the 2016 election and just the gut punch of living through the horror of the destruction of our democracy before our very eyes, being able to go to the Schubert Theater and see this Valentine of a musical, you know, there are a few perfect musicals. I called the band's Visit One. Hello, Dolly is another perfect musical. The book by Michael Stewart based on Thornton Wilder's play is absolutely incredible. Jerry Herman's score. If I needed to pick me up, I bought a ticket. I saw this sh- production nine times. It is the I think show. I have you beat at 11 or 12. Yeah, this is the show I on Broadway that I've seen the most in my life because I kept returning to it, not only because Bette Midler was amazing, but on Tuesday nights, Donna Murphy slipped into the role. And I already said earlier on this podcast, all you need to do is say Donna, and I'm there. Uh, and we had her on as our second guest. Um, she was an extraordinary dolly. And we had another dolly on the show with Betty Buckley, who did the national tour. And um, Carly Carmelo is doing it right now, who is like, you know, someone I just absolutely adore. So Hello Dolly just has always had a very special meaning and to you, me. And you left one out. Oh, who did I leave? Oh, Bernadette Peters. Oh, my gosh. <gasps> wow. I would say this can't be public, but it's a podcast. So everyone's now going to know that I left out Bernadette Peters. Wow. Well, I'm, you know, whipping myself right now. Uh, Mea culpa, mea culpa. She'll forgive you. Yeah. Jennifer Samard may not forgive well, you. Well, no, I know. Um, people say that in this production, Bernadette Peters invented stairs. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Right? And I, uh, she can take credit for inventing stairs because when she entered the Harmonia Gardens, it was unlike it was, anything. Yeah, yeah, all those ladies, they were all, I mean, you know, Bette was the event and, and it yeah, was of course, really, of really, you know, it was really special. But yes. every lady that's played yes. it, has brought something different to it and something unique and Absolutely. has really shown what they are, what yeah. they mean to Broadway and totally. to performing and, and why they are who they are. And yeah. every single one of them was special. Mm. And that's not, yeah. I, I, I'm, I mean that sincerely. Of course. And my only regret is that it didn't run forever so we right. could see every right. female actress who we love step into, the, into that dress, you know, and maybe even a couple men. Right. Well, I'd love to see yeah. Billy Porter's Dolly Levi. Oh, that would be wonderful. You know, well, I'm just who, putting that into the universe. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, that production was really, really, really special. Jerry Zachs, Warren Carlyle, guest of the show. Just a perfect combination of elements. And, and you're right. It is the, it's the Valentine that America needed to, yep. to get through a very difficult time. Yep. There's no question about that. And still that. needs. Golly gee. Okay, number, number one. one, we're here. Uh, my number one play of the decade is Clybourne Park. Wow. I, I don't know what else to say about it. Okay. It, it's it, For those of you that don't know, it's um, it basically is, uh, how do you say it? A, 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 a before and after of Raisin in the Sun, a, a continuation mm. of Raisin in the Sun, a, a sort of like almost in a way the negation of it, right? I mean, it, it, it's a... Act one is a white family living in a home, and then act two is a black family living in the same home decades later, right? 
Right. Did you not see Claiborne Park? I saw it uh, at Willie Mammoth Theater Company in D.C. Uh, um, and I remember it not really doing anything for me, which is why I was kind of shocked that it was number one on your list. Wow. But that's why we do these lists. That's, that's why, why it's fun, right? Lists. Everybody, you know, theater means different things to different people. And maybe if I saw it today, I would say it's the best play I've ever seen. I don't know. That's the other thing, right? Is who you are at the time informs how things land, right? Yep. And I think I have grown, I hope I think I've grown, um, in my appreciation and acknowledgement of um, race in America from 2012 to the present. You know, uh, I think that there were certain blinders that I had on, um, given my, you know, the privilege of my uh, uh, upbringing and, and education, that my world has been burst open in the last six years, I'd say, at least. Um, so I'd be interested to see this play again. Um, it won all the awards. It was a huge, Big huge hit. hit. Yeah, written by Bruce Norris. Right. Yeah, and it won the Olivier. It won the Tony. It won the Pulitzer Prize. It's an important play. Absolutely. Um, great. Okay. So my number one play of the decade we already talked about, and that is the Normal Heart. Yep. Uh, so I don't think we need to say anything more than. Well, we've talked about all of these yeah, because my musical incredible. is Hello Dolly. Huh? How about that? And my musical is Follies. So at the National Theater. So. Uh, there's our decade. There's our decade. Wow. Well, I think it's quite interesting that when looking back over the past decade, a lot of the productions that pop up throughout are revivals of plays, plays and musicals from the 20th century, um, which I don't think is a bad thing. In fact, I think it's quite exciting to see artists in the 21st century reinterpreting uh, works from the 20th century in exciting ways, in some ways that are really bold uh, in terms of a departure like Oklahoma. Or in some ways that are like a love letter to the form with like Hello Dolly. Or, you know, you could take the same convention with the normal heart and a view from the bridge, right? That same device of one approach that's, you know, very different and one approach that's, you know, sort of an homage to. Um, so that's one trend that I sort of picked up when I sat back and looked at our two lists. I don't know if anything struck you. Also, the public theater is all over this, and Scott Rudin. <laughs> yeah, I, and I was struck by I was struck by those two things. I was yeah. struck by the the, the and playwrights horizons. You know. Yeah, a lot yeah. of playwrights, a lot of playwrights horizons. I was struck by the fact that I my list skewed very heavily towards gay representation mm. in the yeah. theater. Yeah, your list skewed a little bit more towards. Politics yeah. and Oklahoma, <laughs> which is also political. Yes, you of know, course. If you, if yeah. Particularly the arena stage version that you yeah. you, you spoke about earlier. Yeah. I mean, that really took a political look at, oh, at yeah. the sort of the landscape or yeah. a racial, the racial look. politics of it all. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and and I think that those themes are obviously important to us. Yeah, it's what we were drawn to in this last yeah. decade. Well, and if you look at the decade, it makes sense. Yeah. Totally. What a decade. Yeah. What a decade. I will also notice that a lot of revivals in our musicals, too. Yeah. Right? When we're talking about our favorites of the last decade, a lot of revivals. The newer work, you know, didn't, there are a lot of things that we enjoyed, but I think that in taking a step back and looking at the decade, there weren't as many new musicals that really uh, grabbed us. I didn't have one new musical on my list that was on Broadway. The only two new musicals on my list were both off-Broadway. Mm, how about that? Yeah. I had a two. Two. Yeah, I had two. But my number world. 11 would have been Hadestown. Oh, so, same. So, the 11s know, are I, very, it's a very and, 
fertile uh, field. Well, and that was a very, yeah, 11 is a whole, uh, 11, uh, number 11 is another. We should do an episode that's just the 11s. Correct. You know? <laughs> but Hades Town was a tough choice. Yeah. I, I really yeah. wanted to yeah. make that yeah. fit on there. Amazing. Well, as we look ahead to the next decade, the Roaring Twenties, just saying that out loud is crazy. Um, there's much to look forward to, even that just this, this spring season. That there is. Cool. Well, here's to a great year ahead. Yes. There's a place where we belong. There's a place where we belong. And you'll hear us sing our song in this place where we belong. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can hear us anytime on iTunes. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman and Charles Van Kirk. Find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday. In this place where we belong In this place where we belong Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.